Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to be with you, as always. It's been quite some time since I had the privilege of being able to come and share from God's Word, but every chance I get, I am thankful, and it is always good to catch up and uh, be able to spend time. Um, this morning, as Tegan read for us, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and uh, that is only going to set the stage for skipping around to a few places, as we will be, uh, if you want to keep a finger in the book of Isaiah, um, we're going to be looking at some of the places in which some of the quotes that come here uh, come from. But once again, let me just calm uh, my heart and we'll just go before the Lord as we're going to open the word together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for this beautiful day. And I thank you that you are a God who speaks. I just pray that as we know you are a God who from the beginning of time has been in the business of declaring your glory, not a God of hide and seek, but one who longs to be known. I just pray this morning, Lord, that we would be listening with hearts open wide. Thank you that you are the author and perfecter. And this morning we can trust that you and you alone would be speaking to our hearts. And so as we open your word this morning, Lord, we just place it in your hands and trust that you will Press upon our hearts those things that you have for us. However challenging, however encouraging, um, Lord, just pray that we would receive it and allow you to apply it, knowing that in this room we all come from different places, different circumstances, different backgrounds, different denominations. And yet you are one God, one Spirit, who desires us to be found one, whole in you. And this morning, as you are about your work, Lord, may we join you in it. And I thank you this morning that you call broken vessels and uh, that this morning you declare your glory and shine your light through each and every one of us, not because of what we can do for you, but what you have promised to do for us. And so this morning, we just set our hearts before you and trust that you would just take all the many distractions of life and set them outside these walls for this moment that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we're going to open the Word together this morning, I often tell you I can only share with you, you what God has been sharing with me. This last little while, we've been dealing with a uh, septic system that has been failing on our farm. And so I was quite tempted to have a septic-themed talk. But the Lord thought otherwise. And there were many other things. Uh, that the Lord has been laying on my heart. And so I'm glad for your sakes that you do not need to hear about that. But uh, this morning, as Tegan read, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 4. And as we do, note that uh, as we look now into the new year to come, boy, I watch the news and I look at the current events and I look at what's happening around us and the society and what's happening, where it's going. And it just seems that I look at it and there are times in which I would say, man, not hopeful, but it seems more and more hopeless. And it seems not like we're winning, but that the darkness is consuming so much of what's happening. And the Lord has just been using a few passages, specifically in Matthew, to remind me of who He is and what it is He is doing in the midst of sometimes times which seem hopeless. Or when it seems like the darkness is ever increasing around us. Time in which we need more and more wisdom. 
and is taken red, it speaks about Jesus. And this comes after His temptation that we read those words that Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody and He withdrew into Galilee. And again, we read in verse 14 that this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And time and again, we read these words, this was to fulfill everything Jesus did, everywhere He went. He mindfully knew that He was fulfilling promises and prophecies that were about Him and the things that God the Father was going to do through Him as the Son. And then this was read this morning. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people were sitting in darkness, saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And as we read those words, I'm ever mindful that as we study the Bible, if you ever read a quotation, one of the keys to understanding what it is saying or what Jesus was saying by it is to go back and look at the context of that original quote because it is very important what was being said then was being referred to now. I hope that makes sense. Often there's passages we'll use in our New Testament and we'll use them for a reason or a purpose. I think of one in... uh um, two not being unequally yoked that Paul says in, in the, is writing to the Corinthians. And we'll use those in accordance with relationship. And, uh, and that they can be used. And yet when you go back, it actually, those words come from idolatry and attaching yourself to something you are going to worship, something you are placing in your life that you are setting as a key element or of importance that should not be there. And so, yes, you can use it for that, but there's something more there or it speaks to a greater root or a greater depth. And this morning as we read about a light dawning in darkness, I've been uh, looking back and what I want to do is skip all the way back to the book of Isaiah. And now I've noted here a couple of verses for us. But in Isaiah, we see a beautiful uh, pattern that takes place. What's the pattern? We see time and again, condemnation, correction, and consequence followed by hope for a new future. And in it, after destruction, there's going to be a great deliverance. At the beginning of Isaiah, he says, listen, an ox knows its manger and a donkey is master, but my people do not know my voice. He speaks of a people who've walked away, who've left him, who don't know him anymore. And yet after words of correction and condemnation, again and again we'll read, but one day you will be washed and you will be white as snow. And again and again we read what they've become. And then again and again, God doesn't leave them in despair. He reminds them of where He's taking them and of what they're going to be when they find Him as their only salvation. And so as we read about this light dawning in darkness, listen to what it says in Isaiah and chapter 7 and verse 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, that Uzziah, 
king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. And when it was reported to the house of David, saying the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz. Now notice that first point. This is a group of people and they've been laid siege. They've been come up against. They're surrounded. This great army is now there ready to conquer it. And if you read on, they have conquered many of the places and territories around them. And the people are fearing. Their hearts are shaking. Beautiful picture as a forest shakes with the wind. And now the word of the Lord meets him. Isaiah 7 and verse 4 says this, Say to him, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramilia. Because of Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramilia has planned evil against you. It goes on, Isaiah 7 and verse 10, and says this, The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Pause there. Here God is coming and He's promising calm in the midst of a great storm. He's promising care in the midst of a time when it seems impending destruction is near. And he says, listen, do you want to know that I'm going to do it? He says, ask for a sign. And he says this, as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And in verse 12, Ahaz replies, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. How fitting, as we read in this now Advent, Christmas, New Year season, that in the midst of this impending destruction, God calls for calm. In the midst of their fear, He says, be secure in your faith. And in the midst of all of that, he says, ask for a sign. If you want to know I'm going to do it, ask me anything and I'll do it. And when he refuses, God says, you won't ask for a sign. I'm going to give you one. And by what God gives, a virgin will be with child and will call his name Emmanuel. Here's what's beautiful. In the midst of this destruction that's upon them, God just doesn't give them a promise that's a temporary one. Oh, I'll win this battle. Oh, I'll save you from this army. Notice this. God makes no less than an eternal one. Oh, I'm going to make you a promise. But it's not one just for you, not for your generation, not for this battle, nor even just for the next. I'm going to make you a promise that is for all time. 
Why? Because I'm preparing a salvation far greater than you could ever ask or imagine. A salvation in which you will know Emmanuel. God is with you. God with us. How amazing is that? The thing that I want to note this morning, and this is what God has been just raining on my heart in these last days. The context of light. The greatest light always comes at the depth of the seeming deepest darkness. The context of His great light comes when often darkest seems as though it can't get any darker. I think of the times in which God's light has shone clear. Man, it's the time of Moses in which babies are being thrown into the river. And you think, could it get any worse? And it's at that time God's light comes. Oh, they won't know it for a few more years. Why? Because a baby was going to be born in the midst of such utter terribleness that was going to be the one through whom salvation was going to come. And they were going to be let out. Though they couldn't see it. Fast forward to the time in which Nero was killing children in his attempt to kill a future king. And again you'd think, could it get any darker? No one would have known at that point in time, at that moment, that a child had been born. They were going to have to wait. They were going to have to suffer. And yet at that moment, when it couldn't get any bleaker, any darker, a light was dawning. Here's a group of people waiting for impending death. And yet when God spoke, He wasn't going to just speak to that. He was going to speak to a greater salvation and a greater light that He was preparing. They just hadn't seen it yet. Isaiah 8 says this. Notice we haven't gotten to the quote we read in Matthew just yet. Take for yourself a large tablet. Write it on in ordinary letters. Swift is the booty. Speedy is the prey. What a great word. If any of you are thinking of getting a tattoo later, that's a great one. Write in ordinary letters. Why? I want anybody and everybody to be able to read it. The educated and the uneducated. I want everybody to know Oh, if you think that's good, he goes one deeper. He says this, Take a faithful witness, a testimony, Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of uh, Jerobashiah, goes, I approach the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Anyone know what that means? You guessed it. Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. Don't just get it tattooed. Name your children. Right? Uh, I've told many of you before, I got fired from the naming committee for our children, partly because I realized there was great wisdom in the naming process through the Bible. And uh, I may have chosen names like Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. And I was therefore fired uh, from that day forward. You see, once again, the prophets... Not just their words were a testimony, their lives were. 
And God was going to speak. And what was He saying? He was saying this, Isaiah 8, verse 4, before, before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further saying, inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in resin, the son of Remilia, now therefore behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. And then it will sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass through. It will reach even the neck and spread its wings and will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, O peoples, be shattered. Give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. You see, he goes on and he reminds these people that he is with him and he is going to deliver them. As we read, and this is where it comes full circle back to what we were reading together this morning. In Matthew, I want you to note something. For them to see the light, they were going to wade and walk through a great darkness. And isn't it interesting that what we read next in the book of Matthew, though we haven't read it yet, it tells us this, that from that place, after saying these words, Jesus goes on and begins calling the disciples. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. This is Matthew 4, verse 18. And he saw Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, as we read those words in Matthew, it's so important to know that each author of the gospel were communicating what was important to them and the purpose to which they had. John is going to communicate the fact that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that had been given, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. Again and again, he'll use these words, signs and wonders, attesting miracles. Why? Because he's going to show all the miracles Jesus did to show that he was the Messiah they were waiting for. Matthew was shining a light on the fact that Jesus had come as their king. And it, it rings true because he starts his gospel with a genealogy showing how Jesus came in the birthright of the kingdom and the kingship of David. And so he leaves out details that other authors leave in. And when you go to uh, Luke in chapter 5, what looks here is a Jesus walking by and saying, hey, follow me. And them just going, let's go. No, in Luke 5, we read detail in which tells us that Jesus was teaching. And not only was Jesus teaching, He actually got in Simon's boat and began to preach to the people around them. And can you imagine having a front row seat? You're rowing the boat that Jesus is now speaking and declaring from. And at the end of His message, after having spoken, Jesus says, now let's paddle out to deep water 
and throw out your nets. Does anyone remember what Simon's words were? No point. No point, Jesus. We fished all night and caught what? Nothing. We fished all night. These are professional fishermen. And later we read that he finds uh, John, it says, and James, the sons of Zebedee, mending their nets. Maybe that's why. They thought, man, our nets are pretty, must be full of holes. We better mend them. But it actually tells us that Simon goes on and says this, there's no need, Lord, because we fished all night and caught nothing. But on Your Word, because You said it, Jesus, we will. And when they paddle out, they drop their nets. And what happens? Luke 5. More fish than their nets can hold. In fact, they call out and fill both boats until they're ready to sink. Here's what's important for me as the Lord's been kind of reminding me of things this week. Before they could experience full nets and fish that would sink boats, here's what they had to experience. Empty nets. Some have called it two miracles. The first is which these men went out, fished, and caught nothing. Do you realize today that in order to know the greatness and grandeur of God's glory, the splendor of His light, God may need to bring you to places, seasons, and times where He gives you empty nets. And we can cry about it. And you can only imagine, Lord, what are we going to eat? What are we going to sell? How are we going to buy? This is our livelihood. God, you failed us. Our nets are empty. No, God was only preparing us for what? A greater miracle, a greater glory, a greater sign in which He was going to show us far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Have you ever thought that today's darkness, today's empty nets, oh, and we work hard fishing all night, We mend our nets. We went to the good spots where the fish are supposed to be. We did it all. We did everything. We even prayed before we went. (laughs) And yet nothing. Have you ever thought that today your empty nets are preparing you for a greater glory to be seen? Not today, but tomorrow. I don't know what your empty nets might be. Because we all suffer bankruptcy. We're all broken in so many ways. And it can be relationally. It can be financially. It can be sexually. It can be physically. We are broken people spiritually in every way. And the list could go on. And you've worked And you've tried. And you've prayed. And it seems like every time you pull those nets in, what do you find? Empty. Seems like the enemy's getting stronger. Seems like the darkness is growing. 
light diminishing. And yet they needed to see empty nets before they could see the one who made nets full and overflowing. What are the nets you're praying for? What is the season of darkness? Because I'll tell you what, as we started, that's what I see as I look at the world around us. It seems like the darkness is simply getting darker. And yet today, just as we began with a group of people, and this is where Jesus quotes from Isaiah 9 to people who were in the darkness, what? They saw a great light. To people who were in the midst of the darkness, the light was dawning. And this brought back memories of a couple of things, one of which, and there's a few things you need to know, one is we are a Lord of the Rings family and a Star Wars family. I apologize. But uh, there's a couple of things that have come, uh, pictures that came back to mind to me this week. And one of them was a thing. And my wife, again, if it were up to me, my children would all be vegetables. Uh, she has been the smart one uh, who made rules. And books and movies have been quite controversial in our family. Uh, namely, because I'm the one who tell my children that books usually ruin the movies. Just watch the movie. My wife, on the other hand, uh, tells them that to read the books first. And she was the one with great wisdom to tell our kids, no one is allowed to watch Lord of the Rings unless they read the books first. Great rule. And it's made good readers out of some of our children, but there's been great controversy when some of the children, and I can't name who uh, this morning, have skipped the line and managed to watch some of the movies without reading the books. And there is great controversy. And kids now hold it over other kids saying, you never read the books. You are lesser than, right? Great controversy. But in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there's a scene. And some of you will know and some of you will not watch the movies, and if you don't like watching bloodshed, sword fighting, and orc blood splattering everywhere, then I don't blame you. But they're in a battle called the Battle of Helm's Deep. And in the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is a valley named in the White Mountains of Middle-earth, they're in a fortress called Hornburg. And they're there as a last refuge, fighting a vast army. And the walls have fallen. Many of the military have died. And the last of our heroes have fallen back to what's called the keep. And they're there with the remainder of those. You hear whimpering. You hear women and children crying. Uh, you hear sh soldiers running. But the greatest thing you hear is the opposing orcs battering in the doors with a battering ram. And it's in the midst of all of that. It's like all hope is lost. And there, one of our heroes, Aragorn, says to Theoden, ride out with me. And you know what Theoden says? Yes! For death and glory. I love that, right? Yeah, they'll speak. Last, Let's just go out and die for glory. I love it, right? And another voice speaks and says this, just as they're saying these words, let's ride out 
for death and glory. Okay? Let's just go out in, in a flame of fire. Light peeks in the window. And you hear these words. The sun is rising. And for those who've seen it or read it, probably doesn't do it justice if you read it. Those who've seen it, far better. Tell, I'm telling you. Far better if you've seen it. Listen. Aragorn looks at the light and all of a sudden the words of Gandalf come to his mind and you hear a quote. And you know what he says? Look to my coming at the first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. And it's this great moment. Why? Because where one hero is riding out into death and glory, another is now riding out not because he's looking at imminent death. He knows something. And at the dawning of light, at the darkest of circumstances, and the deepest of times, there is no hope. And yet, at the light dawning in the window, he remembers this. Gandalf is coming. And as they blast through the doors and ride out in hopeless circumstances into a myriad, of those fighting, it's this great picture of Gandalf coming over the hill at the sunrise on a white horse. And what follows him? A vast army of the Rohirrim. He was riding out into hope. Riding out knowing that help was on its way. He didn't see it. He hadn't seen it yet. But he knew he had been promised it. And in great confidence, he was going. What a great picture for us this morning. Because you can wake up in the morning, you can turn on the news, you can look at what's happening all around you. You can see what's happening politically, environmentally, everything. And you can go out your door in the morning thinking, hopeless. No we walk out our door into this new year, 2024, hope-filled. Why? Because we have a promise. A light is dawning in the midst of the darkness. And sometimes, and I hate to tell you this, if you've read the book of Revelation lately, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the darker it gets, guess what? the brighter the light, as few as they might be, are. Ever been in a cave when all light is gone? All it takes is a match and everybody's eyes are drawn. As hopeless it may seem, as dark as the days may be, remember Nero and Herod's time. Remember Moses' time. How could it get any worse? No, it may. And yet, what? They didn't even know it. The light was with them. It was going to take time for them to see it. Because this promise, not just a temporary one, an eternal one. And today we go out in hope. Not hopeless, hope-filled. We go out ready to be lights in the darkness. Not because we are light, because we have the light Within us. And that's what Jesus will go on 
in Matthew to tell his disciples. He says this, listen carefully, Matthew 5 verse 14, you are a light to the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He's called us in dark days. And today we go out knowing that a light is dawning. You may not always see it, but it's there. And today, whatever empty nets you may see or feel like you may suffer, God may be preparing you to see full nets or preparing you to be a light in a dark place. It's just not quite gotten dark enough for the light that He wants to shine. For to see how bright you can actually be when you are declaring God's glory. God is at work. The danger is we can get caught up warring as the world wars. We're not just to stand back and complain about the darkness. Gossip about the darkness. Write cynical posts on the internet about the darkness. Those are so easy to do, aren't they? Picket the darkness. Hell no, we won't go, right? We love picketing the darkness. No, today we're called to be a light in the darkness. Not to hide from it. Run headlong into it knowing that a greater light is coming to shine within us and is fighting for us. An example I've often used, and I'll use it again because I think it's such an important point today. When we talk about complaining about the darkness or picketing sin or sinful behavior, I often ask people who'd stand outside an abortion clinic and say, save your child, save your child. You're, and you see it on the news. You're awful. How could you do this? You're murdering your baby. How many of you would put down your picket sign and actually tell a young pregnant mother, hey listen, I don't just want to shame you and tell you you're killing your child. How about this? Come to my home, live with me, and I'm going to help count the cost of feeding you, feeding your baby, and raising a child. Have you ever thought about that? It's easy to call out the darkness. Here's what's hard. To count the cost of being a light in the darkness of coming alongside the broken and being light to them and being a supply for them. How many of you are willing not to just tell people they're dark or doing dark things, but are willing to walk with them in difficult places, in difficult seasons, and in difficult times? So often, I'm the one who tells people what righteousness is but I hate to be a vessel of righteousness because there's cost. Today I pray that we would be a community that doesn't gossip, picket, talk, cynically write, or worry about the darkness. 
we'd be those so affixed to the Savior and the source of the light of life that God can lead us in the darkest of times and we will never lose hope. We can charge out into the certainty of death because we know Jesus has us and He lives within us. And it's not just that He came, He is coming. He will strengthen us and empower us for whatever He needs. Today as we go out these doors, maybe there's a number who feel like you've experienced the darkest of days or are worrying that they're yet to come. And they may be. Or perhaps you're like me and you feel like you've suffered empty nets. I hope this morning we go out, and not just this morning, but into this new year, trusting that God is preparing people, circumstances, situations, times, and places to show a light in a world where the watching world can say, there is no reason except for God. How is He calling you to be a light today? You know what? It may start with being a little foolish. How do you have to be foolish? You may have fished all night, prayed all night. You may have worked hard, bleeding, sweating, trying, and come back with empty nets. And when God comes and says, I need you to trust Me to throw down your nets again, and you say, I've already tried it. I've already told them about Your life. I've already told them about Your love. I've already tried it, Lord. I've already tried to be better. I've already tried to stop sinning. And He's like, no, trust Me. Tegan's about to take a hook and drag me off the stage. I can feel it. Something's creeping up on me from the side. I haven't looked, but I sense it. I sense it. It's coming. God is good. And though you may not have experienced the victory yet, that's not to mean you won't. You may just not be ready for what He has because what He has is far greater than if your nets were partly full now to what you will see then when they will be full and sink the boat. Today we go out into a new year ready to be lights in darkness. Not because we have it within ourselves, but because He is a light and will be faithful to shine that light even where we've tried before and failed. This time, He's simply saying, trust Me. Trust Me. Heavenly Father, thank You that we can go into a new year trusting You. Hope-filled. Because You are a God of glory. Thank You that where we have failed and floundered, You are simply preparing a greater testimony Thank You that You often let us get to the end of ourselves, our abilities, our attempts, our desires, our hopes, and even our dreams. Because there we find at the end of ourselves the beginning of who You can be and will be if we'd allow You. Thank You that we do not go out in despair and death, but hope in the light that salvation is coming. In fact, salvation is here. Thank You for Your goodness, Your glory, and that today You are at work. Though we may not see You now in these dark days, Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on You, the source of life, 
and the light of it all. In Jesus' name, amen.